Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. I am excited. I'm genuinely excited to share with you um, from God's Word because that's all I have to give you. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not. I'm, I'm younger than most of you, so I don't have a whole lot that I can share with you. But what I can share with you is God's word. So I love, love, love the word of God, and I pray that that would come across. But I, I pray that you would also develop a love for the word of God because it is so life giving. It is. It's everything. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read His word out loud because this is God's spoken word, okay? It's alive and active, and it's able to penetrate our hearts today. And I'm believing that that's what's gonna happen as I was getting ready for today. That's what's happened to me. Um, So I'm just excited uh, to share with you as we begin to wrap up uh, the series that we've been in, We Are the Church. We are the church. So we have together over the last uh, few weeks taken a journey through the book of Acts. And as we prepare to wrap up this series, I want to do two things, okay? I'm going to let you know up front what I want to do. So that way you have the game plan. And if you want to check out, you have it already. You know what I mean? I could say these two things. You could go your way and we'd be good. Uh, So I just want to get you while you're fresh. You know what I mean? So here we go. The two things that I want to do is I want to recap the entire book of Acts. That's a little crazy, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it together, and we're going to tell the story, and we're going to see this incredible story and this overarching narrative of God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's goodness, um, as the word, as the good news of Jesus Christ was spread, even to the point that you and I, 2,000 years later, are here today still talking about Jesus Christ. Incredible. It is It is incredible, okay? Uh, So we're gonna look through the book of Acts and then I wanna ask you a really important question. Uh, This question for me was like everything. When I was getting ready for today, I felt the Holy Spirit through his word speak to my heart because he illuminates the text for us. So that way, it's true. As you read God's word, it comes to life. I I hope that you understand that. Um, uh, But the question I felt like I was being prompted by the Holy Spirit, uh, even to ask you today, uh, is are you a prisoner of this life or are you an ambassador of the kingdom? Okay, are you a prisoner of this life or are you an ambassador of, this, of the kingdom of God? Uh, I think the way that you answer that question has the ability to change the way you live. I really genuinely, sincerely believe that with all of my heart, that when you ask that question, are you a prisoner of this life, or are you an ambassador of the kingdom? When you answer that question, it has the ability uh, to change you. Okay, so those are the two things that we're going to do. So the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, right? That's what it means. It's the Acts of the Apostles. Who are the apostles? Uh, They are the 12 that Judas, he kind of cut out a little bit early. Um, They they got somebody else in there. Read, you'll figure it out, okay? I don't want to give away the punchline. So 11, they added one, and then really secretly, Paul was truthfully the replacement to Judas, but anyway... Sorry, I can't help myself. So the apostles are the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. 
of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, okay? So they are the apostles who established the church. Along with the apostles, though, and including the apostles, there was 120 disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, okay? So that is the, uh, the apostles. And in the book of Acts, we are looking at the lives of the apostles after Jesus sent them to make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here because Jesus sent them to make disciples of all nations. 2,000 years later, here we are, the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of Christ, right? And it is now our job and our duty as the church to make disciples of all nations. So the gospel continues uh, to go uh, forward. So the Acts of the Apostles, though, this book is that story of the transmission of the gospel throughout time and uh, throughout history. So this is an incredible story that we read about in the book of Acts. Incredible, 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 true story, true accounts. It is as close to real life Lord of the Rings as you get. I mean, seriously, the, the, the epicness of this story will blow your mind. Oftentimes, we love to read God's word by opening it up. You know, we're having a bad day, and it's like, oh, just point my finger right there. Oh, that's my word. That's a word for me, Lord. And we don't even understand what it really meant. You know what I mean? That's, that'll work. It'll get you through a day. You know what I mean? It'll work. Sure, I believe that. But you need to like drink of God's word. You know what I mean? You need to spend time in God's word, soaking yourself in his word. And I promise it will not disappoint you. It will change you. Reading God's word changes your life. So I want to encourage you, man, read through the book of Acts, but I'm going to help you today grasp the overarching narrative. And it is an incredible, epic uh, story. So To set the stage for this incredible ending, we're going to refresh your memory of what we talked about over the last few weeks. Are you ready? We're going to do this. We're going to to dive in now, and it's going to be awesome. So uh, we're going to recap everything we talked about. So before Jesus ascends into heaven, he instructs his disciples to remain in Jerusalem, right? Jesus was on earth for 40 days. He ascends after his resurrection. He ascends into heaven after giving them instructions to go uh, to Jerusalem and wait there for the promised Holy Spirit, right? John baptized by water, Jesus baptizes by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the promise that we're given. Jesus instructs them to stay in Jerusalem. The 120 that is there representing the disciples of Jesus, including the apostles, are gathered in Jerusalem. They're there for 10 days, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they begin to speak in tongues, okay? Now, there are people from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem. They're gathered there to do whatever they do, right? They're they're gathered in uh, Jerusalem. They hear a commotion, and a crowd begins to form around the apostles. They hear them speaking in their native languages. What? That's crazy. They begin to hear them speaking in their own language. And then Peter gets up and he begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, 120 people go to 3,000. Boom. Church is established. That's a sermon. Am I right? Dang. Like, Peter is spitting fire, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, just an incredible sermon that uh, escalates the church and builds momentum from 120 to 3,000 people. 
While in Jerusalem, they're still gathered there. The apostles are teaching and telling the stories of Jesus Christ and performing miracles. And one day, while Peter and John are on their way to church or the temple to pray, they come across a lame beggar. And Peter stares at him awkwardly and says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. Take up your mat and walk. He reaches out lifts him up, his feet straighten, the man walks, jumping and praising and leaping, and right? And he follows Peter and John into the temple, and once again, Peter begins to preach. And this time, he corrects the religious leaders of the temple there. He corrects them and says, you know, you are the one who killed the chosen Messiah. Though You are the ones who were supposed to be waiting for this guy. He comes along, and then you're the ones who kill him. And he corrects them and encourages them to repent and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And what do they do? They tell him, don't speak in that name. Now, they couldn't throw him in prison yet because suddenly the church now moved from being 3,000 people to 5,000 men. Not counting the women. Like a man's like, amen, 5,000 men. That's not even including the women and children, right? So conservative estimates of like 15,000 to 20,000 people. Big stinking deal, right? This is huge. Like suddenly you have 15 to 20,000 people at the temple there. It's starting to cause a little bit of a commotion and a little bit of a problem for the religious leaders of the temple. So the apostles continue to do signs and miracles in the name of Jesus. And as a result, the religious leaders begin to get jealous of what's taking place and how God is using uh, these incredible men, right? And, and the religious leaders uh, begin uh, to get jealous of them. So they finally get the guts and they arrest them. They arrest Peter, right? And they arrest Peter and they throw him into jail. But so what? God frees him. He comes out, the church continues to grow, and it's getting so large that now it's impossible for the apostles to attend to all of the needs of the, maybe at this point, more than 20,000 people. Like, at what point did they realize, like, I don't know if this is working. You know what I mean? So they begin to think through this, and they begin to appoint godly men to serve and to meet the needs of all the people of the now-established church there in uh, Jerusalem, One of those men, his name was Stephen. Stephen was a man of God who did many signs um, and wonders, and Stephen ended up becoming the first martyr of the church, right? He, he preaches just like Peter, uh, Peter preaches, and uh, he preaches, and he preaches so well, he gets killed for it. That's some good preaching, like, right, right. And actually, there's a church father that says, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So the church, uh, the, the religious leaders at that time continue try to continue to try and squash what's happening, but they can't. They can't. It just continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And so Stephen becomes the first martyr uh, of the church, which causes the church then to spread out of Jerusalem into the surrounding reason, uh, regions. They're running for their life at this point, afraid that, man, maybe I'm next. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be the next martyr. And so they, they leave Jerusalem. And one of the people uh, that was present at Stephen's um, death, uh, that approved of his death, was a man named Saul. Saul was there approving of Stephen's uh, death. And what Saul didn't realize, along with the other religious leaders, that the more they tried to eliminate this 
weird group of people, the more they tried to eliminate, even to the point of killing people, it only served to spread the gospel even further. How good is God? They didn't have the foresight to know this, but as they were pushed out into the surrounding regions, it just caused them to spread the gospel wherever they went. It just caused, so God literally moved them from Jerusalem, and now the church begins uh, to grow beyond uh, Jerusalem. As the church is pushed from Jerusalem, this message of Jesus Christ begins to become known by more than just the Jews. It now becomes known by the nations of the world, all different people groups, all different backgrounds, and they begin to put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. Now, this actually creates, awkwardly, it creates a problem uh, for the early church. You mean salvation isn't just for the Jews? It's also for the Gentiles? That's, that's crazy. It's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Romans or for the Greeks or people from different backgrounds or different beliefs. You mean this message of Jesus Christ isn't just for us, but it is for others as well. They weren't ready for that, but Peter has a vision, right? And God tells Peter that it's basically through Israel that the whole world might be saved. Peter gets it. He realizes, like, we can't stop this. It's now gone beyond even what the apostles are able to contain, and it begins to spread and spread and grow larger beyond just the Jews, now to the Gentiles and to all different uh, regions. During this time that Peter has this vision, the guy that we know as Saul at this point in the story has an incredible encounter with God where he's radically transformed Right, And now this guy, Saul, uh, actually becomes one of the most influential characters in the book of Acts and even in scripture that we read. Saul goes from persecuting the church to becoming one of the most influential people in all of church history. Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, taking this message of Jesus Christ as far and as wide as he can possibly take it. This guy named Saul suddenly becomes who you and I know as Paul. Paul, an incredible, mighty man of God. So now as the story continues, right, this incredible epic saga of just the church growing and multiplying and expanding beyond anybody's wildest imagination, as the story continues to get better and better, uh, we begin to read more about the life of this man named Paul, as he begins to stop at nothing to make sure that people all over the world hear the message of Jesus Christ, even if it means that he has to risk his life. Paul is willing to do anything, he's willing to go anywhere, and he's willing to give his life for this man named Jesus. To be honest with you, though, as we join Paul in the story, it doesn't go well. It doesn't really look as glamorous as you and I hope that it would look. It, it really doesn't go the way that Paul expected or planned for it to go. At one point, Paul is actually stoned to death, drug outside of the city, and, and thought to be dead, right? But his disciples gather around him, pray for him. Paul pops up like, what's up? And goes back to preaching the gospel. Like, dude, just take like a personal day. Like, it's gonna be all right, you know? Like, just calm down. But like the next day in scripture, it says he goes right back to work, continuing to spread the gospel, continuing to preach about 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is incredible. So Paul is stoned to death, comes back to life. Paul is then imprisoned. He, he gets thrown in to prison, and it would seem that Paul's desire and his passion to spread the gospel was met more with difficulty than uh, with ease. Like everywhere Paul went, I mean, certainly there were good things that happened, but it never failed. The religious leaders or, or leaders from the Gentiles would always fight back and push against uh, what Paul was trying uh, to accomplish. And this brings us to the final chapters of the book of Acts where we find Paul imprisoned on his way to Rome. Paul had this desire to go to Rome. Paul knew that Rome was the capital of the known world. So Paul's desire was, man, I gotta get to Rome. I have to get to Rome so that way I can continue to preach this gospel, that I can continue to share Jesus Christ. And if I make it to Rome, maybe I can make it as far as Spain and spread the word uh, of God everywhere I go and I can preach uh, the good news of Jesus Christ to everywhere, uh, every, everywhere I go and to everyone I meet. He actually even says, I love this, God is so good. In this journey of him wanting to make it to Rome, he actually sends a letter uh, to, to Rome. He actually sends a letter to uh, believers there, to, to Jewish uh, believers, hoping to gain their support to help him get to Rome and beyond uh, to accomplish his goal. What is Paul's goal? He actually says in the letter uh, to the church of Rome that he makes it his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ wasn't known. Paul's whole drive was to preach where nobody heard or where nobody yet knew of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to build on somebody else's foundation. He wanted to lay the framework and the foundation of Jesus Christ wherever there hadn't been one laid yet. His ambition, his goal was to spread the gospel where it had not been spread. Let that side note, you, you need to be an ambitious believer. You need to have goals. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your background is. I, if you are like sucking wind right now, like breathing, you need to be a believer who has goals and desires uh, for the kingdom of God. We'll come back uh, to that in the end um, and I'll convince you of it, I promise. So um, you need to be ambitious for the gospel. Paul was ambitious. His ambition was to preach Christ where he had not yet been known. So Paul always, always, always knew that he would make it to Rome. He always knew that that's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, everything I do, uh, I'm trying to get to Rome to preach the gospel, to spread uh, this good news throughout every nation, throughout every people, throughout every region I can. Um, so he knew he'd make it to Rome but he wasn't sure how. <laughs> and I can be certain he didn't plan to get to Rome as a prisoner. Like he didn't plan on, on being a prisoner when he finally made it to Rome. Like that was, he's like, I think that I'll get arrested and go to Rome that way. Like that was never like on Paul's radar. You know what I mean? Like he never thought that his way of getting there would be as a prisoner, but that's how the story goes. 
So on his way to Rome as a prisoner, uh, we read last week, and we're picking up where we are reading from today in uh, chapter 28. I want to encourage you. I'm all over the book of Acts right now, so this is all scripture. So read it for yourself. If I used every reference, we'd be here all day. But if you want to follow along with me towards the end of this incredible story, go to Acts 28 and just read along kind of as I'm telling you uh, this incredible story, okay? So last week we read and we talked a little bit about when Paul was shipwrecked. Paul's goal, his aim is to make it to Rome and now he's shipwrecked. Like what the heck, right? Like everything he does, all the effort that he puts in and it's like, He's shipwrecked, and he gets shipwrecked um, on the shores of an island called Malta. Once again, this would seem like a pointless hiccup, right? Like, what's the purpose of this? What is the need? You know, like, why did this have to happen? You know, God, I'm trying to make it to Rome. Like, what's the purpose of us being shipwrecked and the journey, if you read how long it takes for them to get to Rome from where they were and from Jerusalem? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like, God, why all of the struggle? Why all of this difficulty? Why all of this opposition? And God knows what he's doing. God's providence and his sovereignty, Paul is so aware of God's sovereignty over his life that he knew none of it was pointless. He knew that this entire journey, as as arduous and as difficult as it might be, He knew that it all served uh, to advance the kingdom of God wherever he went. So here he finds himself washed up on the shores of an island called Malta. Uh, Seemingly pointless reason, but God had a plan. The people on the island of Malta would have been considered barbarians, okay? So remember, Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. So now the gospel isn't just being introduced to the Jews, It's not just being introduced to the Gentiles. Now it's being introduced to barbarians. You know what I mean? Like, oh my goodness, the gospel is for everybody, not just for like those of us who live in America. You know what I mean? Like, that's the idea here. It's not just for the Jews. Oh, it's it's not just for the Roman Empire. Like, this good news of Jesus Christ is for everybody across the face of the globe. And now God intentionally shipwrecks Paul on the shores of Malta so that these barbarians, these uneducated people, as it, as it pertains, they weren't dumb, but they weren't aware of the known world, right? They weren't dumb, but these uneducated people um, suddenly are now being introduced to the story of salvation. How good is God? How awesome is God, right? So they're shipwrecked here on the island of Malta and it starts to rain. What the heck? It's a cold rain. Are you kidding me? Like they just got shipwrecked. One of them's gonna catch a cold or something. Like this is terrible. Like why, like, why so much difficulty? Why so much hardship? But Paul just keeps chugging along, right? Now they might've been barbarians, but they were hospitable, They built a fire. They built a fire to warm uh, the prisoners and the captains of, of the ship. And so they built a fire. But Paul, in his nature, not just being, you know, okay with being served, but wanting to serve, he begins to gather sticks to throw on the fire to keep everybody warm. Like, he's probably exhausted, but he's, there he is, picking up sticks, gathering wood, throwing them on the fire to keep everybody warm and to look out for, for everybody there. As he's gathering the sticks, there's a snake in the wood there. And the snake, warmed by the fire, 
latches itself onto Paul's hand. And that's the moment. That's the moment where, just like every other Christian, Paul falls to his knees and says, Why me, God? Life is so unfair. Lord, I'm living my entire life's existence in service to you, in service to your kingdom, and this is what I get. You know I'm trying to make it to Rome to glorify you, and you're going to put me in prison? You're going to have me shipwrecked? You're going to let me get bit by a poisonous snake? Like, surely I'm going to die. Like, what, like what, what's this all about? No, that's not what Paul does at all, does he? Paul reaches his hand out over the fire, shakes the snake off, and keeps being Paul. (laughs) Keeps doing what Paul does. Now, I think this is so incredible as we read here in this passage. And and you can read, like I said, you can read along with me if you want to read. It's in verse 4. But the people of Malta instinctively knew something that you and I know also. They understood the law without ever having received it. They understood the law because what it goes on to say is that, dude, this Paul guy must be a bad dude. Like, if the ship didn't get him, certainly the snake will get him, right? Like, he must be a murderer or something crazy, right? Because, like, justice is going to be served to this guy right now. No one had to teach him that. No one had to teach them that bad things are supposed to happen to bad people. This is your problem and my problem as well. Anytime something bad happens in our life, we immediately think, Lord, I'm, I'm not living in sin. I'm not a bad person, right? I'm not, like, why am I being punished? Like, and then other people judge other people who are going through stuff like, yeah, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? It's probably because they're terrible. Let me help you understand something, okay? Time out in the story. I, I am a, a husband. I know I'm young, but I'm a husband, and I'm also a father, Now, I love Jesus Christ with all my life, but what I want to help you understand is that there are unbelievers, people who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, who are probably better men than me, who are probably better husbands than me, who are probably better fathers than me. I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what you and I and the people of Malta tend to forget. We don't recognize. We think that bad things are supposed to happen to bad people. Here, Paul brought the message of Jesus Christ and God's grace that you who were undeserving, Christ died for you. Not because you're a bad person, not because you're a good person, because not by works so that no one can boast, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? So that's what Paul is there now by God's providence, shipwrecked and snake-bitten on the island of Malta. That's why God brought him there, to introduce to them this incredible message of God's grace, that it's not about being a bad person, it's about being a saved person. And Paul goes on to do an incredible work on Malta. He heals the chief of the island's father from sickness, and inevitably people get saved. So it seemed pointless. God had a plan. Paul was aware of that. Paul ends up making it on uh, to Rome. They end up leaving there after spending uh, time there with them at Malta. And uh, Paul continues to be Paul and to do what Paul does best. So everywhere Paul went, he faced incredible difficulty. But Paul continued 
to overcome. And here's everything, right? Like if you don't hear anything else, like stop texting. And if you're gonna text, text what I'm about to tell you to the person you're texting. You know, like listen for like, this is everything in this moment, okay? I asked you the question at the beginning, are you a prisoner of this life or are you an ambassador of the kingdom? Because when Paul finally made it to Rome, he arrived in Rome much more an ambassador of the kingdom than he did a prisoner of Rome. He knew that. He knew I'm on a mission and God is gonna use my imprisonment and taxpayers' dollars to get me to Rome. (laughs) Right? Like God knew what he was doing. And he was much more an ambassador of the kingdom of God than he was a prisoner of Rome. And here's this beautiful picture as we wrap up these last few verses here in uh, chapter 28. As Paul gets closer and closer to Rome, it became clear that this small group of 120 people, there was something to it. These 120 that put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, man, there is something different about these people. There is something different about this message. There is good news here. There is something to hold on. There there is something different about these people who call themselves Christians because as Paul gets closer and with each step that he takes, he begins to realize that even though he hadn't yet been to Rome, the good news of Jesus Christ had already spread beyond Rome. And as he gets closer to the city, people come from miles to greet him and to welcome him and tend to his needs because Jesus Christ was already known throughout the entire region. The gospel had spread, the church had grown. It's no longer 120 or 3,000 or 20,000, whatever. It's like, it's impossible to see how far and how wide of an impact this man, Jesus Christ, had on the world. And you can imagine how warmed uh, Paul's heart must have been as he sees people coming from miles to greet him, to welcome him, and to tend to his needs. You know, Paul in Rome was still in prison. He was on house arrest. He had a little ankle bracelet. That's not true. He didn't have that. That was, wasn't invented yet. <clears throat> um, anyway, so Paul, while in prison, Uh, found favor actually even in the Romans' eyes so that people, uh, Roman guards would even fight to spend more time with him to hear the stories uh, that Paul would tell. So Paul, everywhere he went, would overcome and would find favor in the eyes of God and find favor in the eyes of, uh, of men. And he would see this gospel go on to be spread throughout the entire known world. You know, Luke wraps up the entire book um, of Acts in chapter 28, verse 30 through 31, by saying, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. God is faithful. God is so good. Amen? So that's the story. That's the story. That is the the story and the narrative and the epic saga that we find in the book of Acts. Great. What does it have to do with me? (laughs) 
everything <laughs> has everything to do with you. This is your story. This is why you're sitting where you're sitting. This is why we are here. It's our story because they established the church. We are the continuation of the church. History is being written. So what does this story have to do with me practically? I always struggle with this because I don't always know that God's word has to be practical in the sense like I don't know that we can always boil God's word down into like an easy little thought that like, oh yeah, that's great. Now I can go on and do that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it's not always practical in the sense that's super easy to apply, but it has to be practical to some degree. Like we have to be able to apply what we read in God's word to our lives. And I think I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't look for some truths that we could take away from Paul's example and apply them to our life so that we can live a life like Paul who really lived his life like Jesus so that we can be more like Jesus. So it needs to be practical. So I have a couple real quick Uh, three things that I want to share with you. If you guys want to come up, we'll get ready to close here. But I wanted to share three things with you uh, real fast. Not real fast, but timely. Um, The first thing, vision, okay? Paul was a man of great vision. He had an incredible vision. He wanted his fellow brothers Jews to be saved, to accept Jesus Christ, but he also made it his ambition, as we discussed, to preach where Christ had not yet been preached, to preach where Christ had not yet uh, been known. That was Paul's vision. He had a huge vision for his life. He had purpose. He was motivated. He was passionate about his message. He had a huge vision. And I want to encourage you today, you need to have a huge vision. We as the church have a huge vision. That is that we would make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. Not just to do programs and stuff. Like, we're here to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, right? That's our vision. But I want to encourage you for your life. For your life, you need vision. You need a goal, you need to be motivated, you need to be passionate, otherwise you wander. You wander and you don't accomplish anything and at least you're saved. That's good for you, but Jesus wants you to win some for him. He wants you to spread his message everywhere you go um, to the people that you meet. So Paul had vision. He had a huge vision that the whole world might know Jesus Christ as their uh, Lord and Savior but he was smart, okay? He knew that he wanted to take Christ everywhere he went and he wanted to see the whole world saved, but he was also aware that that couldn't happen unless the person next to him knew Jesus, right? So he broke it down. He knew he wanted to make it to Rome, but he also knew that there were prisoners aboard his ship that could know Jesus Christ. He knew he wanted to make it to Rome, but He got shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but he knew that those people needed to hear Jesus. He knew he wanted to make it to Rome, but now the gospel had already spread to Rome, so he wanted to go to Spain. So he knew every single step he took, everywhere he went, that he wanted the whole world to know Jesus, but that could only happen if the person next to him knew Jesus as well. So who's in your life? Who's in your life that needs to know Jesus Christ? If your vision for your life 
isn't accomplished, it's a fantasy. And you live in your fantasy world where you hope that one day I'm gonna be this awesome man or woman of God and do these incredible things. Great, I think that you need to have that. But if you don't take practical steps to bring about that, it's just a fantasy. And you spend more time living in your own little world where you think you're all that and you never really accomplish anything for the kingdom, right? If your vision isn't accomplished and if you don't take practical steps, it's just a fantasy. And so I wanna encourage you, dream big, have great vision for your life, but don't let it be a fantasy. Don't let it be a fantasy. Take steps to put the vision that God placed in your heart uh, to, to bring that about and to make that a reality. Dream so big that it motivates you to get up every day and change the everyday things that you do for Jesus. That's how big your dream needs to be, that it changes what you do every single day to bring glory to his name. We need to be like Paul, people of vision. Secondly, Paul had faith for days, right? Paul was a man of great faith. Paul always knew that he would make it to Rome And he had always hoped that he would make it there, but he never knew how things would play out for his life. He he didn't anticipate getting to Rome as a prisoner. And the thing I want you to realize though, it ended well for Paul. It ends well for you because you go to heaven. Because Paul had the insight to realize that it's not about this life. It's not about this life. It's about our life in Jesus Christ. It's about our eternity. It's about the life to come. It ended well for Paul, even though church tradition holds that Paul was beheaded. But he knew it's not about this life. Sure, it might not end well for you if you put your hope in life circumstances. It won't end well for you because you'll never have enough. You'll never be satisfied. Even if you have the picture perfect life where you have everything you want. And even if you have enough of it that it satisfies you for this life that you're like, no, I'm okay, really, I'm fine. Like it's working for me. Life's good right now. I've, I've got my retirement, right? I've got everything that I want and life is good. Living on easy street, life is good. That just popped right there, just a song. Um, but life is good, right? Life is good. That goes away when this life is over. So even if you obtain all the things of this life, scripture says that he who loses his life finds it and he who finds his life loses it. So even if you momentarily satisfy yourself with the things of this world, it doesn't end well for you either. (laughs) It only ends well for you if you realize that it's not about this life, but it's about the life to come. If you are walking through this life as if you are a prisoner, it is because you've placed your hope in this life. That's hard. I have seen in my lifetime, my many years on this earth, 27, I've seen many Christians. (laughs) I've seen enough Christians, not many maybe, who are miserable. I need you not to be miserable. I'm a kid. I need you to live a life that's inspirational. You know, 
because we have kids in this church who need to see the lives of men and women who are passionate about Jesus Christ. We, need, we have teens in this church who are sitting here who are watching you live your life. And if you're miserable, man, why would I wanna live that way? The only reason you're miserable is because you've become a prisoner to your circumstances and to the situations of your life. And you've put your hope in your circumstance that things would go well for you. That was never promised in God's word, but it ends well. It ends well in that you will be with Jesus for all eternity. 10,000 years from now, this life will pale in comparison to the life that you have in Jesus Christ. I know that's hard to get. I know the circumstances that you might be going through are different than mine. We all have stuff to deal with. But if you're going through life as a miserable Christian, it's because you've put your your hope in this life and not in uh, the life to come. Lastly, we need to have a willingness like Paul to fight. We have to fight. Paul had a willingness to fight. Paul had vision and he had faith, which both led to action. Paul was a man of action. Paul fought every step of the way to accomplish what he felt like he was made and put on this earth to do. He took every opportunity he could to maximize his potential. Paul leveraged the limitations of imprisonment. Paul leveraged his beatings and his being stoned and whipped. Paul leveraged those things to bring more and more glory to God. Paul in prison went on to write most of the New Testament that you and I have here today, which is the inspired word of God, which allows for us to read of the acts of the apostles. Well, he didn't write that, but you get the idea, right? And so he wrote, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament that encouraged the church and encourages you and I. It's so important that we read God's word. So Paul wrote two thirds of the New uh, Testament. It might not have looked the way that Paul ever intended for it to look, but Paul knew that he could glorify God in whatever situation he was in. You might not be able to control your situation, but you can control whether or not you glorify God in it. You might not be able to control your situation. You won't be able to control the situations and the circumstances of life. You won't, you won't be able to control, but you can control whether or not you glorify God in those situations because we need like Paul to have a willingness to fight. We have to be willing to fight. We need to be people of vision we need to be people of faith and we need to be people who are willing to fight. So at the beginning, I told you that I wanted to do two things and we did them, right? We went through the entire book of Acts, summing it up in chapter 18. I wanna recap, I wanted to recap the book of Acts and to bring this series to a close, but I also wanted to ask you a question. So here's the question, if you remember. Are you a prisoner of this life? or are you an ambassador of the kingdom of God? I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing, the heartache, the pain, the loss, the frustration, the depression. I don't know what you're facing, but how you're facing it. Are you a prisoner to your situations or are you an ambassador for the kingdom of God using your situation to bring glory to his name? 
You know, the way Acts ends in chapter 28 is very abrupt. And it doesn't give us the full picture of Paul's life. It doesn't tell us what happened beyond there. Of course, we know that 11 of the 12 apostles went on to be killed for their faith. John was sent to exile in Patmos, right? Anyway, whatever. We don't know what happens. It ends just by saying that the gospel went forth unhindered. It just ends in chapter 28 very abruptly. It ends abruptly because at the end of Acts 28, it says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And the reason it ends in chapter 28 is because you and I are chapter 29. We are the church. We are Acts 29. And the gospel continues to go forth unhindered. The message of Jesus Christ continues to spread. People continue to put their faith in God. People continue to be transformed by the message of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus. Lives are are set free. People are transformed and the gospel goes forth unhindered because we are the church. We are the church. We are the church. Amen? We are Acts 29, and we can choose to either go through life as prisoners of its circumstances, but at least you're saved. You make it to heaven. But I'd prefer as the church to be remembered as ambassadors of the kingdom of God so that we could continue to spread his word where it has not yet been preached. Amen? So with this knowledge that it's not about this life, we can be people of great vision, we can have faith, and we can have a willingness to fight, knowing that everywhere we go and every step we take, we're taking ground for the kingdom of God because we are the church.